0: The gory days, i here to say the 80s horror show, take a stroll down memory lane. it's time to start the show, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days. Welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite horror movies from the 1980s and beyond. If you were to sit down and think and someone told you, think of your favorite horror slashers. If you had to think of that pantheon of slashers, you would probably think of the same ones that I would think of. You think of Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th with his hockey mask and his machete and uh, if, if you're watching like Tiny Dunes Adventures or something, his chainsaw. But that would actually go to Leatherface, another slasher. You'd think of Leatherface with the skin on his face and the chainsaw holding it up above him as he just, like, spazzes out at the end of that movie. You'd think of Michael Myers with his creepy white mask of Captain Kirk and following home Jamie Lee Curtis in his blue jumpsuit and standing outside and then not standing there anymore. You'd think of Chucky, the doll, sitting idly by on the table and then you go to do something else and you look back and the doll's gone and it's somewhere else and you don't remember putting the doll there and then ba-ba it's got you and you're dead. Um maybe you'd think of I feel like those are the big ones. Maybe you think of Pinhead from Hellraiser uh with, with his um Cenobite uh cabal, his his little friends that are never too far behind, um stretching you out with chains every which way to until you can't tell the difference between pleasure and pain. Maybe you think about the one that started it all, not even the one that came first, but oddly enough, the one that stands on top of all of those, including like Pennywise and uh, to a lesser extent, Pumpkinhead and some of these others that didn't quite stand the test of time, but the one who stood the test of time, the King of them all, Freddy Krueger. I feel like Freddy Krueger is probably the most recognizable horror icon uh, of American horror cinema, I I, could, I I would probably say that that Freddy Krueger stands above all other horror uh, slashers as like these seminal. What do you what do you do when you picture a slasher? If I told you oh a slasher, you probably either default to Jason from Friday the Thirteenth or from Freddy uh, to Freddy from A Nightmare on Elm Street. I remember being deathly afraid of Freddy Krueger. I remember being absolutely tantalized with his look it was the kind of thing I, rem- I have a vivid memory of sitting in urgent care um for whatever reason i i wasn't in trouble it was my sister or my mom or something and i remember it was when freddie versus jason was making the rounds on the market on uh movie trailers and stuff and So there was this big, big full-page poster in the newspaper that just happened to be in the waiting room there for Freddy versus Jason, and it was the one where it's both of them in profile just looking at each other, and Jason's got his machete, and Freddy's got his claws, (laughs) and... Oh, my God. I even think about it now. Like, w- our culture was such that we had, like, AVP, Alien versus Predator, and Freddy versus Jason. We were just ready for, like, mashups. Yeah, just take two things that have no business being in the same movie and just push them together because they feel the same. Um, and I remember looking at that poster from a distance, really far away, with this, like, uh in intellectual analytical view of like somebody like like um like someone going out into the field and living with cannibals or something and observing them and going oh my god this is horrible but i can't look away i have to document this for for science is what i felt like watching looking at that magazine from from wherever i was because freddie it wasn't jason so much jason i could take or leave i mean he's got the mask i didn't really i wasn't really as familiar with the movies uh as i was with the night Round elm street just because the rules simply weren't that interesting to me it wasn't until uh it was revealed to me later that jason's mom was the main antagonist in the original and i was like oh maybe i should check these out but night on elm street it's It's pretty simple. You don't even have to have seen the movie. I don't know when I first heard it, but the idea of somebody killing you in your dreams, like forget about killing you in your sleep when you're already the most vulnerable that you could ever be. Even a child knows that. Oh, if I'm asleep, you can do anything to me. My friends will like draw penises on my face or someone could stab me and I would have no way of defending myself and I might not even wake up in time and I'd be dead. But uh, I remember thinking back then with movies like Jaws, and um, this movie, Nightmare on Elm Street, I, I remember joking with friends when I was a kid way back then thinking like, oh, they just sat down in a room. They being, you know, like, oh, the the movies people sat down in a room and decided, what aren't people afraid of yet? And they went down the list and they said, oh, sharks mm, people are already afraid of that. Thanks, Stephen uh hmm, let's see uh having sex oh no sorry we can't do that friday the 13th already got that cornered uh what about falling asleep hmm being asleep going to sleep that's something that people aren't afraid of and poof nightmare on elm street was born it's not quite that simple but that's what my my little brain entertained way back when when i was simultaneously fascinated with and terrified by Freddy Krueger. I remember wanting to be him. I wanted to dress up as Freddy Krueger for Halloween so many times. And to this day, I wanted one of his gloves. And I remember there was a point in time where I would go on eBay and just look up, like, costumes and costume materials and stuff. And there were some super high-quality Freddy gloves that I wanted. And, of course, my parents didn't want any of that, so so i didn't get it and i still don't have it to this day but uh, i remember being fascinated with it there was something there was, there was something cool about that he wasn't this tall hulking thing because i wasn't very tall and hulking i was kind of lanky and thin and lithe like freddie was and there was also there's also like i don't i don't i was i was going to speak to like his uh, comicalness but i definitely was not uh open to that i was not going and seeking out the sillier uh franchise movies that came out of this first one i was firmly satisfied in knowing that there's a movie monster that his whole mo is killing you in your dreams when you asleep and when you're asleep and he has total domain over the the dream world is so cool and so deadly and i mean the uh, nightmare on elm street i'm if you want to know about the movie and the history and everything, I'm not doing an episode. I'm not doing this episode because uh, I think I'm the seminal expert or the authority on a Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm doing this because I want to talk about my experience with a Nightmare on Elm Street, and frankly, because on my podcast if you go through my list of episodes and you see i've done friday the 13th and hellraiser and silence of the lambs and some of these other ones but i haven't done a Night on elm street i thought that was criminal so i wanted to jump back and make sure that i hit this absolute classic from the genius Wes craven but if you're interested in knowing the actual history and the minutiae of how the movie got made and all that you can watch the documentary Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy, which I haven't watched. Maybe I should have before I did this, but I'm more interested in just recapping my personal experience and my, my history with it because it's my show, The Gory Days. So once again, I'm Kyle Leone, your host for another week. Let's get right into it. The movie today is A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984, directed by the great Wes Craven. I feel like I had this habit of um, pl- name-dropping directors and sp- specifically non-actors. It was important to me that I knew like the director's names. Um, I think that was it. I never went so far as to learn like the writers or the producers or, God forbid, the editors. But the director, that was important because it was like the- these movies don't exist in a vacuum. They are a uh, pedigree. They're a portfolio of an individual. And you can see, like, progression through that. So, like, I remember tr- just name-dropping Wes Craven all over the place because that was a name that I really liked, and it, associated, it made me feel like, ooh, he likes horror movies and stuff. And I did. Um, And I feel like my love for Wes Craven really matured as I got older, and I was able to stomach more of his movies, like uh, The Hills Have Eyes. Uh, well, I never saw the original of that, but um, I digress. Wes Craven wrote and directed A Nightmare on Elm Street back in 1981. Uh, yeah, he, well, he wrote it back in 1981 and was trying to pitch it around everywhere. Uh, Anyway, like I said, if you want to know the timeline of how this movie got made, go watch the documentary Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy. Written and directed by Wes Craven and produced by Robert Shea, who I was, uh, in my research, interested to learn not only is he the founder of New Line Cinema, the distribution-made production company, he's also the director of The Last Mimsy, which is like one of the few movies he's he got to direct. And he's Lin Shea's brother, Lin Shea, of course, who shows up in this movie as teacher <laughs> and uh, who would later go on to be um, whatever the fuck her name is from the Insidious and uh, the Insidious series. Yeah, I don't think she's in The Conjuring. God, my history with those two movies. I love them. I, oh, I don't love them, but I love Lee Winnell and, uh, and and his other Australian friend. The movie stars Heather Langenkamp, John Saxon, the great Robert Englund as Freddy himself, Johnny Depp, introducing little Johnny Depp in this movie, Rone Blakely, Amanda Weiss, Amanda Weiss, sorry, Amanda Weiss, Nick Corey, Leslie Hoffman, Joseph Whipp, Charles Fleischer, Lynn Shea, as I mentioned, Mimi Craven, Wes Craven's wife, and a bunch of other people. So... (laughs) Before I get into the uh, nitty gritty of the movie, I'm sure if anyone's out there familiar with a Nightmare on Elm Street, you know that this movie has spawned a massive franchise. There are six sequels, uh, including this one. So a total of seven films. That's A Nightmare on Elm Street, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, 3, Dream Warriors, The Dream Master, The Dream Child, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare... And then Wes Craven's new nightmare, which is the one where it takes place in like the real world. And they're making a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie. But then all the actors start getting killed off by the quote unquote real Freddy. It's it's I I haven't seen it, but I've seen bits and pieces of it. And I've read the synopsis and I've seen some scenes. It's it's it sounds like one of the more um, ambitious uh, endeavors for a film, but man, that's, that's the kind of stuff you get away with a TV show that ran for, I think like three years called Freddy's nightmares. That was a kind of an anthology show in a similar vein as tales from the crypt where Freddy would like introduce two stories based on a theme of the day or whatever, a crossover with Friday the 13th, as I mentioned, Freddy versus Jason and a remake, uh, nightmare on Elm street. The 2010 version, they named it the exact same movie, and that's the one with Jackie Earl Haley as Freddy. That is just not as good. It's not as good. I don't know if I'll cover that one. Maybe, Maybe I will down the line. But yeah, let's just get right into it with my uh, first segment here. I'm going to do things a little differently, I mean, if you can't tell already. I'm just going to go through the movie and I'm going to slip in some of my other segments and stuff as we go. And then when I finish the movie, the episode will be over. And we'll see how that feels. If I don't like it, I'll change it. It's my podcast. What are you going to do? Let's get started with, what the hell just happened? So the movie opens by quickly introducing us to Freddy's glove. He's making it. And then we see Tina. We meet Tina, who's played by uh, Amanda Weiss. And she is walking around the uh, dreamscape, whatever. All that matters is that when she wakes up, she's being chased by Freddy, and Freddy scares her awake. And when she wakes up, her nighty, her little like nightgown is slashed, and her mom's like, either you gotta cut your fingernails or you gotta stop that kind of dreaming, one or the other. So let's meet our main characters. We've got the four friends, Tina rod glenn and nancy so the movie does a fun thing here it's kind of like psycho where we introduce a character and you have every right to assume that they are our main character and then they kill her and we shift perspective to a different character so tina doesn't make it very long (laughs) if you haven't seen the movie i mean obviously major spoilers throughout the whole podcast tina doesn't make it very long anyway we meet our heroes if you will Tina, Rod, Glenn, and Nancy. Tina, of course, played by Amanda Weiss. Rod, played by Nick Corey. Our good friend Johnny Depp as Glenn. And Heather Langenkamp as our actual protagonist, Nancy Thompson. So those are the friends. They go to school, and after school, Tina's uh, got Nancy and Glenn over for a sleepover because she's scared because of her dream last night. And so Tina uh, and Nancy decide to share the spooky dream that they had, and it seems like they've had the same dream. I've, I can't remember, like, that must have been a thing as a kid is telling each other your dreams and, like, if there was any kind of weird similarity between the two, just leaning into that super hard and going like, ooh, what, what, what could it mean? Are we connected? Are we twins that were separated at birth? Are we the escape to Witch mountain twins? <laughs> So, anyway, Rod shows up and he breaks their little slumber party up so he can steal Tina away and give her the best sex of her goddamn life i feel so bad for glenn who doesn't get any that night and has to sleep in a separate room from his girlfriend uh yeah so rod and tina are a thing and glenn and nancy are a thing but glenn and nancy sleep in different rooms that night while they have to listen to uh tina and rod just go at it like fucking animals (laughs) and um Tina has another dream this time she's getting pebbles thrown at the window so she goes outside and she sees um freddie and he's got big long arms i know the effect that they're trying to get with this scene but it's just it's pretty silly uh it's it's um undercut though when she's like oh god and he holds up his glove and he's like this is god and i'm pretty sure that's like the first time we hear him talk it's pretty creepy he's got that like you're in my world bitch <laughs> kind of like a uh, scary Terry. I mean, obviously, obviously scary. Ter- uh, Freddie Krueger very much influenced pop culture everywhere. You can look to a million different uh, IPs and find somewhere that they found a way to lampoon or parody uh nightmare on Elm street. The first one that comes to mind, really the only one in my head right now, is scary Terry from season one of Rick and Morty, who is clearly, clearly a uh, Freddie uh, Krueger nightmare on Elm street parody. Um. So when he's got his uh, g- big googly arms, that's all I'm thinking of. And so he chases her, and then he pops out from, like, a signpost. And that's pretty fun. And he does the, like, watch this, and chops off his finger. He said he's just like, isn't that crazy? Aren't I wild? <laughs> and then they're fighting. She, He's on top of her, and he, like, r- she rips his face off, kind of like the thing, which is pretty fun. And he's got, like, a scary skeleton face underneath, and he's like, ah! Like the crib keeper, (laughs) and then oh, meanwhile, while this is happening, Nancy gets like a mini dream. Her Nancy's first dream is the one where Freddie's pushing through the wall through like the late not latex, but like the spandex condom wall that Freddie kind of pokes through. It's so iconic, and it's the one that I think the poster is based on where it's the girl, you know, like, in bed with her eyes all huge, and then above her is the Freddy glove finger. It's really artsy. I love that poster for Nightmare on Elm Street. If you haven't seen it, you should check out thegorydays.com where I've got that poster set up anyway let's get back to tina's dream because she is getting absolutely destroyed not in the good way like rod was doing before but in the very bad way where she is being she's floating up in the air and all rod can do is crawl over to the side as he's like slapped in the face with her and he's on the floor she gets crawl she gets like Pulled up the wall and onto the ceiling as she's screaming for help the whole time, screaming for Rod. And then you see, like, she does kind of wake up a little bit and sees him and reaches back out as the whole room. They did it kind of like Inception, the Inception hallway. They built the whole bedroom upside down and like stuck everything so it looked like it was right side up and then they spun the whole room around and they got um rod to also sit in his position but they like flattened his hair to make it look like he wasn't uh that he was right side up so the whole room is actually upside down but yeah the the reason that she slides up the wall like that though is because they're rotating it slowly kind of like the hallway in inception and it blows my mind. There's so much blood, and I love it. Man, Wes Craven has such a good eye. Some of the scenes in this movie don't hold up, don't, like, stand the test of time, but the kills, the deaths, nothing can change them, and there they are always the most satisfying parts of this movie. Nancy and Glenn run up the stairs to find Tina dead and Rod Splitsville. He is gone. So, naturally, the police get involved, and we meet Lieutenant uh, Lieutenant Daddy. <laughs> I'm calling him that because he's Nancy's dad. We meet Nancy's parents, uh, Donald and Marge. Donald is the lieutenant, the police lieutenant in small town Elm Street. It's supposed to be Springwood, Ohio, I guess. Um, but uh, <laughs> eagle-eyed viewers will notice palm trees in some of those seats, specifically during um, – I think Rod's funeral. (laughs) Um, It's, it's particularly noticeable in that scene, the palm trees in the back. I don't know. I don't think there are any palm trees in Ohio. Please prove me wrong. Uh, Her dad, Lieutenant Donald uh, Thompson is played by John Saxon and her mom, the alcoholic Marge Thompson is played by Rone Blakely. And it's unclear if they live together. Um, I don't think they do. I think they're divorced, but but it's still unclear. They clearly don't like each other though from this like tiny little uh, insight that we see. And they're just trying to figure out why the heck Tina was there sleeping over at a friend's house when uh, she got killed. And she's trying to explain she had a nightmare that someone was trying to kill her and that's why we were there. She didn't want to sleep alone. So the next day she goes to school and Rod grabs her, grabs Tina on the way to, I mean, gra- grabs Nancy on the way to school and tells her in a bush, I never touched her. I didn't do it. Someone was cutting her. And uh, somebody else got her. And it's a sting. The cops are right there. And her dad pops out. And they got Rod. And they lock him up. And Nancy just goes to school after that. So at school, we get Lin Shay's one and only scene as teacher. And I love this. I've talked about this in other movies. But where like the teacher of the movie is talking about a theme of that's that's pertinent to the main character's story (laughs) but like all the other students are like oh my god this is so boring so what she's talking about is i guess they're just discussing shakespeare in general because she mentions hamlet but then she asks someone to read a passage from julius caesar it doesn't matter uh the thing that she says in general is that according to shakespeare there was something operating in nature perhaps something inside human nature itself that was rotten that kind of hits on i think a theme that wes craven's trying to drum up with this movie is that like freddy krueger was a terrible person and i'm gonna get to his story later but it's almost like the the like mass uh malevolence of the act and the revenge of it it, it is like a human nature thing that that came about from the unjust untimely murder of freddy krueger in the way that he was done but that seems like such a weird justification for a child murderer so i don't want to go down that path it just seems too heavy-handed for it to be ignored entirely by the movie so i i I had i felt an obligation to bring it up but nancy's bored of this scene too she falls asleep here we get nancy dream number two where she sees Tina in a body bag calling out to her and getting magically dragged through the halls. She sees the hall monitor who I was talking to Derek uh, when I was watching this, that if I were that actor who plays the hall monitor in this scene and gets shoved down, I would tell people for years that I played Freddy Krueger in the <laughs> original Nightmare on Elf Street. Cause I'd be technically right. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, she's like, Where's your pass? And Nancy's like, Screw your pass. I love Nancy, man. Just as a main, as a protagonist, she's so different from other, like, uh, I can't remember the main character's name from Friday the 13th off the top of my head, but for the sake of comparison, her as a final girl has so much has so much less agency than nancy does nancy is in charge of this movie and she from like point one is determined to figure out what is going on and how can i nancy stop it it's even something that her mom points out uh when she's being put to bed while being too drunk i assume Nancy wanders into the boiler room, Freddy pops out, and the entrance-slash-exit she came from is now a wall. And this is some of the cool stuff that the movie... I wish it did this more, and yet the amount that it does is just a little bit too confusing for me. So it's it's an interesting like tug-of-war between the... This is one of those themes that's prevalent throughout the movie is the uh, is not knowing the difference between reality and dreams, so much so that the movie ends in a place where you don't know if what that if the whole movie was a dream or not. you have no idea what was real. Um, and they play more fast and loose with it as the movie goes on. But that moment where she turns around and the exit is gone and the curtains just lead to a wall is so good dream logic. I love that cuz it it as a movie audience watching the movie you know that this is a dream so you are prepared to suspend an extra level of disbelief for what could happen in these quote unquote dream scenes like you're expecting weird things to happen so the the art that Wes Craven dances around between the audience's expectations of knowing they're in a dream but subverting them enough because they know they're watch- that they that they know they're watching a movie. They know the dream. They know the movie is a dream, so none of it's real. It's beautiful. You suspend disbelief when you go to watch a movie because you know none of it's real. But when you sit down and do a movie like this, you flip between oh well, this is real, but this is not real under an umbrella of none of this is real. It's really beautiful. <laughs> And that's when she does the thing that we're all told to do when you're in like a scary dream or whatever is to like pinch yourself or smack yourself, hurt yourself in some way to like shock yourself back into uh, the waking world. And so what she does is she puts her arm on what looks like, you know, a really hot steam filled pipe and it wakes her up and she's freaking out in class. And Lin Shay comes over and does her best to like calm her down. And she goes from like 100 to five and is like, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'll go straight home. (laughs) And the teacher's like, uh, back to work. And she walks outside and she sees the arm burn is still there. Hmm. So that night she goes to jail to visit rod where he explains. It's as if there were four razors cutting her at the same time, but invisible ones, which is such a fun specific for him to not be able to communicate. Like, you you wouldn't really be able to verbalize or explain what you were seeing if you hadn't seen the glove. But if you knew of the existence of that knife glove, then you would go right away like, oh, that's what it is. It's a slash. But it's so unique and it's so weird. And the way he describes it is so unequivocally like, okay, now we know he's also dreaming about Freddy. That was Fred. Like, this, this is all falling into place. There's no way that he could have known about the knives or whatever and she even says he's like do you think i did it and he says she says no and then she has another dream the bath one where freddie's hand comes up like between her legs and i was really racking my brain for like what the what 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 what, what did he mean by this seed where nancy is a high school girl and she is um naked in there and freddie is up between her legs pretty close too and like leaning over and i kept thinking to myself like is this supposed to be is this supposed to be like some kind of sexual metaphor about like freddie or like the the redness of freddie and the position of it is this supposed to be like a, a a a period metaphor but that that seemed non- That didn't seem like a good area, so I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I don't know. I think it's just supposed to be that he's freaky and that you're not safe anywhere, even if you took a, like, wherever you go to sleep, he will get you. All I know is that part doesn't scare me as much as when she's sucked into the tub, and you get this shot of, like, being under the ice or something as she's trying to swim back up to the hole that is her tub to get out Um, I think it was so cool that they built a bathroom set on top of a pool and had the tub exit out under the pool. And that's how they got that scene, which which is crazy movie magic, man. And now Glenn Oh, So she comes out of the bath and she's fine. Whatever. She's fine. Um, And Glenn climbs up her little rose trellis into Nancy's bedroom, which is such a product of like. The 80s and 90s, I feel like, was so common of people climbing up my the side of my house into my bedroom like my boyfriend would would sneak into my room and i'd have to be really quiet and oh no my dad's coming quick you got to climb back out the window and down the side of the house and shimmy your way back home <laughs> like that was so common so of course glenn johnny depp does the same thing and this is where nancy asks glenn for the first time can you watch me as i try to go find this guy in my dream and he's like, uh, okay, I'll watch you sleep. Cha-ching. So she has another dream where she's walking around Elm Street. And once again, this is such a great moment of like, you, you're prepared for weirdness, but you still can't tell what's going on because the way that she says, like, I'm going to go out and look for him makes the next shot where she is leaving her home makes sense. But what's really happening here is she's dreaming. And when she asks Glenn glenn are you still watching and he peeks around the the tree he's like yeah the reason he's peeking around the tree and he's there is because she's hearing his voice in her dream and or maybe he's already asleep but i i assume that that's just her dream mind logic putting him in a place that would make sense in her dream which is so much fun stuff like that so nancy walks all the way in her dream from her house to the police station to watch rod in his cell And Freddie is there, walks right through the cell, the bars, which is super cool. They did through, like, rotoscoping and um, mapping two shots together. Awesome stuff. Glenn failed and is asleep. And Nancy's screaming to try to wake her up and sees uh, Tina again in a body bag who barfs a bug. I I wrote that down. Tina in a body bag barfs a bug. (laughs) And Freddie chases Nancy all the way back to her house where she runs up the stairs. And the stairs are melting another like super fun i feel like one of the most common dream ones that i have is like a weakness dream is being up against it's always it's something weird it's like zombies or something being up against a physical force and i've got like a baseball bat in my dream and i'm swinging as hard as i can but the bat is only like tapping their face and it's just not making the 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 amount of strength that i want and I always interpreted those as weakness streams, and I've read threads and stuff somewhere that explain, oh, it's the discrepancy between you being still asleep at rest, your muscles are not moving... Um, and you in your dream are flexing and tensing and using your muscles a great deal, that difference creates that weakness in your brain of like, wait, I'm swinging, I'm punching as hard as I can, but nothing's happening because your body doesn't know what to do with the chemicals that say I am punching when your fist isn't actually punching. (laughs) So when she runs up the stairs and the, the stairs are melting and they're all goopy and she can't run up them. That's one of the more like, Oh yeah, I've been there like running down a hall, but you're like, you're running as fast as you can and you're, you're just not going that fast. Uh, that kind of thing. I think the, I think this is the first time we get his name where, where he's like, save me, save me. She's, he's wearing Tina's face and then he rips off the face. So he's like, save me, save me from Freddie. And I think that's the first time we get his name. So Freddie's got Nancy like, He's ready to kill her. And the alarm clock goes off and wakes her up. And <laughs> Glenn, you bastard. <laughs> I love the way she tears into him in that scene. Anyway, they go back to the police precinct. Uh, they go to the police precinct in real life to go check on Rod. It's past midnight at this point at this night, but um, they got there too late. Rod is being strangled to death by Freddy uh, and he's dead. So they're at the funeral uh, where there's plenty of palm trees in Ohio And afterward, as she's getting put into the car, Nancy tells her dad, the killer's still out there. I don't know who he is, but he's burned, and he wears a red hat, a weird hat, and a red and green sweater that's really dirty. And then they just kind of go like, okay, 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 that's enough. And they shove her in the car because they share a glance of like, wait a minute, burned? Where's a weird hat, a red and green sweater. Who do we know that matches that description? Oh, yeah, that's right. That dude we burned alive a few years ago. But they don't tell her that right now. Instead, her mom takes it upon herself. uh, Nancy's mom, Marge, takes it upon herself to drive to the Katya Institute for the Study of Sleep Disorders. Um they induce her to have a dream while under observation, and it's just such a funny thing where we have, like, the dream doctor here. Like, okay, we're in a room with an authority on the science of dreams. This is the scientist meeting, like, the magic of uh, Freddy, and uh, how, how is his precious science going to explain this? Well, guess what? It's not. She's going to ask him, what are dreams anyway? And the doctor, Dr. Dream, says, total mysteries. Incredible body hocus pocus. The truth is, we still don't know what they are or where they come from. Fade out. (laughs) Uh Nancy convulses and they they wake her up from a dream and she's got white she's got a white streak in her hair. She was so scared that the pigment in her in one little streak of her hair like rogue from X-Men turned white. And uh <laughs> they go over with like with a, a, a syringe, and they're like, "This will help you sleep." She's like, "No!" <laughs> and they see that she's got cuts on her arms, and the white streak in her hair, and most importantly, she brought back Freddy's hat right from off the top of his head. And so the next day, Mom is hitting the vodka pretty hard, and non- Nancy finally confronts her and says, "That <laughs> that's his name on it, Fred Krueger. Who is Fred Krueger?" And then Nancy finally, like, confronts her mom on the issue of her alcoholism and says, or maybe I should just grab that bottle and veg out with you. Avoid everything happening to me by just getting good and loaded. Smack! Oh, Marge hits Nancy. Marge backhands Nancy, and Nancy takes it like she like she takes the best kinds of punches from Freddie. but don't hit your kids. I don't care what an alcoholic you are. <laughs> like, that's an excuse for... Hitting your kids, Jesus Christ. Oh, you can't blame me for hitting my kids. I was drunk. I was drunk as shit. <laughs> That's not funny. Um, Marge mentions Fred. And Nancy is understandably gaslit, and I would hate my I would oh just she says, You knew about him this whole time, and you were acting like it was something I made up? And she smashes her bottle of vodka and leaves, you know, in so many words. Uh, so then Glenn and Nancy go on a little walk. Um, they're on a bridge, and I love this. This is another, like, in horror movies, you'll get the teacher scene where they're talking about something that's very plainly based on the themes of the that the main character is experiencing. And then the other half of this is... Innocuous supporting character will bring like some new spiritual information to the the table that comes out of nowhere. Glenn, Johnny Depp, the jock, the jock is the one that talks. He's like, "Have you ever heard of the Balinese way of dreaming?" <laughs> no, Glenn. Tell me, what is the Balinese way of dreaming? He talks about dream skills. He says if you have a nightmare, instead of screaming and freaking out, you say, okay, I'm going to make up my mind that I fall into a magic world and make it something like a poem or a song. He's implying that, like, in your dreams, if you experience trauma, you can still turn that into something creative at the end of it. You wake up and you write it down and they say that the Polonese, through their dream skills, have gotten all of their culture and literature and art from their dreams. I I don't know how true that is, but the fact that they gave the jock the gall to deliver this information tells me that it cannot be thoroughly vetted. And so she asks very incredulously, what if they meet a monster? And he says, they turn their back on it, take away its energy, and it disappears. And she goes, well, what if that didn't work? And they go, well, I guess they didn't wake up to tell tell us about it. (laughs) And uh, she is reading up on a – she's reading a book called Booby Traps and Improvised Anti-Personnel Devices. I don't know what library she got that from, but she's definitely on a list at this point. She's like, I'm into survival. And he says, you're starting to scare me. Mm Mm-hmm. So back home, back at the Nancy home, I don't they put bars on the windows, tore down the rose trellis, and put new locks on the door. On the inside. Now you can't lock it from the inside without a key, which I've never seen before. That sounds so dangerous. It sounds like such an easy way to accidentally lock yourself in your home and have to call a lock so that to let you out of your house. Um, not to mention how quickly they were able to do this, because they got all of these. Uh, like bars and stuff. She got all of the bars. Marge got all of the bars and locks and rose trellis stuff set up in the time between her getting told off by her daughter and Glenn and Nancy going on just like a little walk. <laughs> and I love this. This is probably my favorite non horror moment in this movie is when she sees is when Nancy comes home and she sees all the bars on the windows and she sees that her precious rose trellis has been torn and is just laying there on the lawn. She goes to the door. She opens it and slams it behind her and says, Mother! <laughs> and Marge just kind of saunters from around the corner and lights a cigarette in her 90s. <laughs> it's such a weird, it's such weird energy. And finally, Marge is like, Come down to the cellar with me and I'll tell you. So this is where we finally get the story, the story of Freddy Krueger. This is what I'm always most excited about is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the monster is a monster or whatever. But why? Why is he a monster? Why is he a monster? We don't know. He was a monster before that. Fred Krueger was a child murderer who killed at least 20 kids in the neighborhood. In the neighborhood. Like, not necessarily the street, but... A small neighborhood, twenty children murdered, murdered, and they caught him. But, but somebody—I love this—the way Fred Krueger got away with murdering twenty children and being caught is that somebody forgot to sign the search warrant in the right place, and Kruger was free just like that. That is such—that is such a horror movie, just like yada yada yada. I don't understand the law. Whatever. A horrible thing happened and the monster got free. All that matters is we get the parents pissed. The parents tracked him down after he was acquitted. They found him in an old boiler room. They poured gasoline all around the place and lit the whole thing up and watched it burn. The parents, the parents of, I assume, several of the dead children and the parents of other families in the neighborhood all got together and decided we're going to murder that guy who got away with killing our children. Something about that mob justice and the way that it's explained and everything. I never want to, It doesn't seem that bad. He's a fictional character. He did a terrible thing. Jeez. And you know what? He was even supposed to be way worse. I'm sure anybody who's done even like two steps of research into these movies knows that Freddy Krueger was initially supposed to be a child molester and murderer. That he was not only taking these kids and killing them, that he was doing worse and then, well, he was doing bad and then killing them. Wes Craven probably very intelligently made him just a child murderer, but for reasons that I thought were interesting, he just he didn't want to be accused of being like sensationalist with apparently a string of uh, similar cases that had been popularized around California at the time that this movie was coming out. But, God, I feel like I, I don't know how much it adds. He's already murdering the kids. It, it's, I feel like you could just heavily imply the other stuff when you make him a child murderer. Um, and I think it's something that they play up a little more. N- none of the movies outright address that ever but i'm pretty sure they play it just a little bit more in Freddy versus jason where he's got like a polaroid of a little girl that he like licks some shit like that but i was surprised to know that this scene where marge tells the little story was actually supposed to be longer in the script marge goes into detail by saying fred krueger didn't die instantly in the fire it wasn't like they stood outside and no one came out so they knew he was dead instead he came bursting out of there burning and frantic and screaming consumed in flames threatening the parents and swearing revenge and marge in the original script says to Nancy that she was the one who took a gun and shot Fred in the head uh, as he was burning alive and i i can't remember if the remake included that part where he comes out and like swears revenge or whatever and like that's what creates his is un holy power or whatever i i don't know why i have that in my head um but yeah apparently that's how it was supposed to go but instead he just burned alive and all the parents watched him and she's like he can't get you now he's dead honey because mommy killed him i even took his knives what she kept the murder weapon she kept the 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 claws she kept his uh knife glove in her furnace this whole time in a weird, like, quasi-ritualistic, like, it's all wrapped around in rags. Why wouldn't you destroy the thing? Why wouldn't you do it in, like, a, a great cathartic, oh, my God, he's finally dead. Let's get rid of this thing that reminds us of the 20-plus kids that were murdered. Jesus. But, I mean, there, there's Marge and drinking vodka all day. So Nancy calls Glenn one last time, says that she hasn't slept in seven days, and drops, oh, don't worry, the record is 11, and tells him... Meet me at my porch at midnight. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. She's going to try to do her plan. I mean, she grabbed the hat. Why couldn't she grab Freddy out of there? So now I put the rest of the movie under Nancy Dream number six. I'm, I'm sorry, Nancy Dream number five here. Because things happen in the preceding scenes that lead me to believe that everything is taking place in a dream from here on out uh, i don't know about the ending where all her friends are alive and fine if that implies that the whole movie was a dream that's not my head canon. i'll explain my head canon when we get to the end but right now i'm gonna say that we begin nancy dream number five as glenn's parents are like Uh, watching her from across the house and she calls and the parents are like, don't, don't you call back here again? And they leave the phone off the hook so that she can't call him, but it doesn't matter. He's asleep. And I thought it's fun. The radio station that he's listening to since he's asleep says something like it's midnight and thanks for listening to station K R G R, which I definitely didn't catch when I was watching it. But in my research, K-R-G-R sounds a lot like Kruger without the vowels. Hmm. (laughs) Uh, I think that was Robert Shea, the producer, as the voice on the uh, radio as Glenn is asleep in there. So it's this moment when Nancy gets a call and it's Freddy in the phone uh, with like the claws and she rips the phone out and she wraps it around and so we know, okay, the phone's not gonna ring again, but it does, and when she answers, Freddie is there and he's like, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. <laughs> and his tongue is the bottom of the phone. See, that shit could only happen if she were dreaming. Right? It's 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 obvious, right? So anyway, Nancy's locked in her own house. Her mom is drunk as a skunk and doesn't have the key to let her out of the house um it doesn't matter we we go back to glenn we go back to johnny Depp, and we see him get sucked into his bed and then a little bit of time goes by and the blood geyser man this is it this is i feel like the scene that you're told about and you wait for whenever you're watching this movie is oh yeah that one scene where they just shoot a huge, just huge flood of blood—a blood, blood flood—up into the air, like it shoots out of the bed up onto the ceiling. And I mean, it, it was really cool. It's pretty obvious now that the room is upside down and they're just dropping water out of the bed. But visually, it looks amazing. And it, once you're when you're in the moment, it's 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 incredible. It's one of the greatest things ever. So much blood. Just the idea that Johnny, that Glenn. Got like eviscerated into just this this blood pool is so nasty that that Glenn's dad is is so good when he's when he's like holding back barfing. Just the idea of of a person, your son, an entire person being a, a pudding now, a liquid. This just this liquid. There's nothing to drive home. There's nothing to put in a body bag. There's nothing to bury. Just a big bucket of your son. That's awful. That's terrible. It's horrible. So now the police and Lieutenant Daddy arrive back at Glenn's house and Nancy calls her dad at the scene of the crime since it's Glenn's house and I guess they plugged the phone back in or took it put it back on the hook and she explains she says Daddy I'm going to go and get the guy who did it and I want you to be there to arrest him Fred Krueger did it and only I can get him come break the door down in exactly 20 minutes. So now we get this little like, like the, uh, the music is a snare drum, like as she's home aloneing the house. She's like, I assume thanks to that stupid book that she was reading earlier. <laughs> um, she's rigging the house with like a sledgehammer. She's incredibly strong as she holds a sledgehammer up on the ceiling and she's filling a, a light bulb full of gunpowder and she's like trip wiring the house. She's doing a pretty good job of making this house like Freddy proof. Um, And then she puts her mom to bed, safe and sound. And this is where her mom kind of drops the big character moment on Nancy. She says to her, uh, Marge says to her daughter, Nancy, you face things. That's your nature. That's your gift. But sometimes you have to turn away, too. And then she looks at the half full, half empty bottle of vodka and she's like, No, I've had enough. And that's supposed to be a big win for her character. <laughs> it's oh great. After a, a movie where we introduce, she's an alcoholic halfway through, she's learned enough that she's gonna give it up, which isn't enough to save her character, unfortunately. But it's a weird thing. I, I understand what they're trying to say, but if my mom, if someone was like, You face things, that's your nature, that's your gift. But sometimes you have to turn away, too. Like, what does that mean? I have to turn away from things? Like, sometimes I shouldn't face things head on. I should run from them. I should ignore them. Like, you, Mom? Like, you with all your alcoholism? It's a very confusing thing that is echoed later. And it's it's the way that she, quote-unquote, beats Freddy is the Balinese dream skill of turning away from the monster so you take away its energy. Um, but it's it doesn't feel appropriate in that moment i i and the audience who's like been listening to that stupid balinese turn away from them when you hear her say the words turn away it all comes together but in and of itself that's your gift you face things that's your nature human oh there's that motif of nature again that's your nature human nature (laughs) interesting So now, Nancy Dream Number 6, or as I like to call it, Nancy Dream 5A. She goes to get the glove out of the furnace, but it's gone because she's dreaming. Uh, And in fact, there's a second door in her cellar in her house that goes to Freddy's boiler room, which is another fun, like, uh, dream logic. And in fact, when she gets down there, she finds Glenn's bloodied headphones. (laughs) And Freddy jumps out, and they're running around. But this part is awesome when Freddy starts chasing Nancy she like climbs over the railing in the boiling boiler room and jumps and she lands in front of her house <laughs> which is so cool that kind of like I feel like this is this could only be used in the climax like this level of dream uh it's like in it, it's not quite inception but like when in a dream if you have a dream where you're in your house but it's not quite your house and you walk through your bedroom door and suddenly you're in your classroom which you think is weird but you don't act weird you act like everything's normal like stuff like that so jumping from the boiler room and then landing as though she jumped out of her the top floor of her home is so fun because there's that but the second element is she was asleep in her bedroom and she just leapt And landed from her bedroom. So did she just wake up from there? Like, what what is this? What's real and what's not? It's so much fun that finally, when the alarm clock uh, wakes Nancy, Freddy's actually there. Like, there's a a moment where she's like, oh my god, I actually am crazy. And then, boop, Freddy's there. And (laughs) I don't get this. I don't know if Freddy's messing with her or if this is supposed to imply to us that, oh, he's in the real world and that's why he sucks now <laughs> but he's kind of a bumbling idiot when nancy's running around the house <laughs> um, <coughs> <coughs> <clears throat> and i love when she goes over to the window and she's like he's here i've got him he's here and the other police officer is like it's okay everything is under control she screams back at him get my dad you asshole <laughs> <laughs> i love that moment because we're thinking the same thing like god damn it this guy so freddie like opens the door and he gets sledgehammered but then for no reason falls down the stairs that wasn't even a part of her trap uh she sneaks around the corner and the tripwire wire like light bulb bomb goes off and it's pretty effective i gotta say she gets down to the basement and like throws some lighter fluid i don't know what it is She throws something on him and i love this moment because he starts screaming no no before he starts burning which no which tells me that like freddie knows what's coming when he once he gets doused with whatever that is and she starts lighting the match and he's like honestly a little scared in that moment is how i interpreted it but well <clears throat> like i said my head cannon is that freddie that if Freddie was ever going to do this right and get Nancy. He had to do the simulation within a simulation trick because he knew that Nancy was too smart at this point to fall for his stuff. So he had to have her, have he had to put her in a dream within a dream so that when she pulled him into what she thought was the real world, he was never in any danger. He was always in the dream domain where he can't be killed. Uh, But Nancy didn't know that. Nancy thought that she was in uh, the real world, just like we all did. And frankly, it's confusing. Um, But anyway, she burns him up in the basement and the cops arrive, including uh, Lieutenant Daddy. And they are looking for him and they see the fiery footprints lead upstairs. And Freddie is on top of Marge getting strangled. Uh, Marge is getting strangled. Freddy's on fire and Dad... Puts it out, Lieutenant Daddy comes over and he puts it out. And then I forget about this scene every time I watch this movie, but when he pulls the blanket off, Freddie's not there. Instead, it's Marge's like charred corpse reaching a hand out as she descends into the bed. Very like poltergeist like. I love it. And Nancy says, Now do you believe me? And then another cop comes in and he's like, hey, guys, what's going on? And lieutenant daddy just kind of closes the door on him. And she says, I'm okay. You go downstairs. I'll be there in a minute. And so the lieutenant leaves, which is super weird, which tells me even more that this is still a dream because he just – He's like, you're the boss, my daughter. This is your house after all. (laughs) Earlier, he tells one of his uh, police officers, he's like, go keep an eye on my daughter's house, (laughs) which is such a weird way to phrase it. Even if you didn't live with her, I guess he really fucking hates his wife, his ex-wife. So that's why he refers to my daughter's house. Um, But uh, yeah, he just leaves. And that makes me think like, okay, this is even more of a dream. But now finally, Nancy deliberately turns her back. She stops facing the problem head on. She turns away from Freddy and she says, I know you're there, Freddy. And then Freddy says for the first time in like a weird twang, he says, you think you was going to get away from me? (laughs) And she's like, I know the secret now. This is just a dream. You're not alive. This whole thing is just a dream. I want my mother and friends again. You what? (laughs) I take back every bit of energy I gave you. You're nothing. You're shit. And then it works. He, he, he tries to, to get her in the back and he just like no, and vaporizes away. and it's really, really non- anticlimactic, um, which is a big relief when she opens the door. And man, just the amount of like, this is fucking weird. Everything's all white and weird and the mom's there. Marge is all perky and she's wearing white and everything's all dreamy and there's fog. And you can like, things are nice, but you can tell something's wrong. Like we just came out of the climax of a horror movie and like whiplash, you want me to think everything's all hunky dory and everything's fine. It's so weird. And then all of her friends pull up in in um, what I think was still Glenn's uh car. What was it? Wasn't it a it, uh, it was a convertible, but I think it was like um. Cadillac, I think it was a Cadillac. Um But now it's Freddy because the top goes down and it's very clearly like the stripes of his sweater. And uh the windows start rolling up and they're like, whoa, whoa, what's, what's wrong? What's going on? Oh, no. Oh, no. Mom. Mother. Mother. I think it's so funny. Nancy only ever calls her mom mother. And the car drives away. And in the same shot, we pan and see... The girls from earlier singing the jump rope song. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Which is such a dumb, simple little jump rope rhyme. Call me old... No, call me not old-fashioned, but back in my day, we had fucking awesome jump rope rhymes like Cinderella dressed in yellow and others. Anyway, the mom is just like waving goodbye as her... Friend, as her daughter and all the kids in the Freddy convertible, the Freddy Mobile, are screaming. I'd love to know what happened to the Freddy Mobile. As Freddy bursts through the window of the door, grabs the mom and sucks her through the window. (laughs) It's so silly. I love it. Ah, And that's a nightmare on Elm Street. So I think... I got through everything. That was fun. I got through all of my themes. I got through all of my Well, I got through most of my themes, but uh, the last one was just about parenthood and I don't think it really holds all that true. So, thanks for listening to the Gory Days. This movie, A uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is so much fun. I got to rate it on a scale of 1 to 5 thumbs, 1 being the be- one being the worst and 5 being the best. I'm going to give A Nightmare on Elm Street Are you kidding? five thumbs are you kidding there's something about the 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 psycho-esque tactic of introducing me to a character that i think i'm going to be around with for a long time kill them and then shift focus to a different character that makes the movie feel not that not as long it's a it's a solid like hour and a half but something about the movie it, it moves well enough the dreams are paced and the kills are visually satisfying enough that you have enough uh, that you have plenty to enjoy in between them all and the entire movie as a whole stands on its own with all of that all of the fun like dream things keep you guessing and imagining what the next dream thing is going to happen and dreams are inherently so personal and unique and important to each of us individually just to ourselves like it's obvious like (laughs) the the common thing of like of sharing your dreams and people getting really bored and annoyed with that is very true because your dreams are wholly important to you. And so the idea of somebody invading that, which is so wholly yours and so precious and so like, frankly vulnerable is so freaking scary and never wanting to sleep again. I'm pretty like, I don't know if I was ever afraid that Freddie was going to kill me in my sleep, but you can insert anything else there. And the idea of going to sleep and being so vulnerable in the dark in my bed that someone can come get me. And it's not even like when I'm a, like, it's not Michael Myers and Jason and stuff. They're going to get me quote unquote in my sleep. But Freddy. I'm not safe. The only way I'm safe from him is if I cut off this necessary part of my life. It's like a guy who kills you if you eat food. Oh, well, I'll just beat him by never eating food again. Oh, okay, well, I guess you'll just die anyway in three days. (laughs) Has anyone ever tried that yet? Like, have have the movie guys sat down in a room and gone, what aren't people afraid of yet? Food? Eating? Eating? Let's try that. I guess they've done that. Or no, I'm thinking of like the stuff, but that's more like capitalism and um, what aren't aren't people afraid of yet? Consumerism. (laughs) A Night Around Elm Street, I'm going to give five thumbs and I'm going to award my thumbs. Let's see. I'm going to give a big thumb to Lynn Shay because she's so fun in this movie and she's one of the best parts of the Insidious movies, as tiresome as those movies are. She's fun. I'm going to give another one to, oh, you know what? I'm going to give two thumbs to uh, Heather Langenkamp, carrying this whole movie as Nancy. She is such an awesome final girl. I mean, she's to even call her that is a disservice because she's got the final girl energy right from the very beginning. She is very much in charge of this movie. And all of the guys, like Glenn and Rod have no interest in solving this. Glenn never even admits to having the creepy dreams in the first place. He's yeah, he's barely in this movie. So Nancy Thompson, I want to hold on to that character as one of the most as one of the uh female characters with the most agency in these original horror movies. She's up there with um Jamie Lee Curtis's character from Halloween, uh, whose name uh, escapes me at the moment. So I'm going to give Two to Heather Langenkamp as Nancy Thompson Thompson. She did such a great job. I'm gonna give one to Rod, Nick Corey, as Rod Lane, because I in my research learned that he was suffering from depression during the filming of this movie and was coping with it, unfortunately, by snorting heroin between takes. So I don't know where he is now, but I'd like to give him a thumb because I think he needs it. He could use a thumb. And finally, of course, I have to give a thumb to the great Robert Englund for bringing Freddy Krueger to life. He's such a unique movie monster. He's so different from all the other ones. So many of the ones that I mentioned earlier wear masks, Leatherface, Jason, Michael Myers, Freddy doesn't wear a mask. He wears his flesh-ruined, horrible face. But underneath that face, it is purely Robert Englund. You can't put on a mask and pretend to be Freddy. You're just dressing up as Freddy. But when you put on a mask as, as uh, Jason, then it's like, oh, yeah, wow, you're Jason. You look like Jason. You can't look like Freddy, really, unless you're Robert Englund. And he brought this character to life. And I had no idea who this guy was. He was on some show called V. And a miniseries called V and a bunch of this other stuff. But growing up, this was the name to drop. Wes Craven and Robert Englund as Freddy. He was Freddy. He's the guy. He's the guy who I still do it. Even as a kid, I remember I'm doing it right now, practicing holding my hand up and angling my fingers in such a way that if I were wearing the Freddy glove, would look pretty cool. <laughs> I still think about that. I still do it. It's iconic. I love it. Um, And it's one of those things that, like, at this point, I would firmly put uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street in, like, uh, you know, the historical vault of movies that influenced culture uh, and art and society in a meaningful way. Like, not only is Freddy Krueger a major merchandising uh, property for New Line Cinema, um, that, frankly, they've fucking bungled with the 2010 reboot they should read they should do it again but it should not be a reboot it should be a continuation i uh, of the first movie i haven't seen any of these other sequels so <laughs> maybe maybe i'm digging in my grave too far but i uh, i think that they that this franchise deserves another reboot it's so good just the themes are inherently there being afraid of your dreams not knowing what's real and what's uh a, what's A dream and what's real that kind of plays into like the misinformation of fake news right now of not being able to tell what's real and what's not and who to believe and the 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 madness of reality is almost more makes more sense than the dreams it's insane uh wishful thinking maybe i should just write it (laughs) well thanks for listening to the gory days uh me kyle thanks for listening to talk listening to me talk about a nightmare on elm street from 1984 If you haven't, you should definitely find it. It's on HBO Max. Uh, You can buy it on Amazon. But seriously, if you haven't seen A Nightmare on Elm Street at this point, even after listening to this episode, after I've ruined everything for you, my words cannot give the blood uh, geyser or uh, Tina's death the visual gravitas that it truly has on on any screen, really. So I, I highly invite you to check it out. But if you have seen a night around Elm Street and you agree or disagree with my thoughts, or just want to share your own, please reach out to me at the Gory Days on all social media. Or if you want to get a little private, you can send me a, a tiny little email at the Days cast at gmail.com and uh, we can just keep it quiet there or you can dm me on those socials you can check out my patreon i have a patreon now and you can support me there at patreon.com slash the gory days i'm looking to get a new uh sound mixer that i think would uh be really cool i can i'll be able to insert drops and audio clips and like and things like that like arf arf (laughs) <laughs> and uh, with help from listeners like you I could get that a lot sooner than later and make my episode sound much better you can also find my stuff on YouTube and I started Twitch streaming if you want to check out twitch.tv slash the gory days I've been uh, putting up my live edits when I'm editing these videos so I'm growing and you can follow me but until next time stay scary out there the gory days